trust that he will challenge us again through, through God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for challenging us so far this week and just pray that you would be with us here this evening. Help us to be attentive and help us to have open ears and then to go forth and spread the, spread the gospel so that your word would be heard and so that the people in the world would be able to praise you and give you honor and glory. So Lord, I just pray that this evening you would be with Dewey as he shares with us. Pray that you would anoint him and that he would just speak what the Spirit has laid upon his heart. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. I commend you for so many being here on a Monday night, right? I mean, that's, that's not church night. But I tell you, I love this church. I told Jerry today, I just, I just love this church, and I'm not talking about the building. The building is nice, but the church is the people. And you guys, I just appreciate you so much. I feel so at home here, and uh, appreciate all the good conversations and all the encouragement and all the blessings you brought into my life. And I just wish I wasn't the only one experiencing this. I wish some more people from my church and my, my wife and others were experiencing this, but I just enjoy being around godly people, people that love Jesus and people that are hungry for, for Jesus and want to live for Jesus and serve Jesus and be salty for Jesus, let their light shine for Jesus. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. We've, you've been talking about persecution. I just wanted to, to read you a quote that I have written in the back of my Bible. This is by Jerome, who was one of the early church writers. He said, nothing is more to be feared than too long a peace. You are deceived if you think that a Christian can live without persecution. He suffers the greatest persecution of all who lives under none. A storm puts a man on his guard and obliges him to exert his utmost effort to avoid shipwreck. And so if we're not under that storm, we're in danger of, like Joe said, becoming lukewarm, becoming tepid, uh, losing our first love, and drifting away from the truth. But if we're under attack, and we are under attack. You know that, right? You, of course you do. We're under attack by the enemy. He is, he is out to deceive God's people and to draw God's people away from him. And so, yeah, we are under attack. We need to, we need to put on the whole armor of God every day and fight that good fight of faith, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, and war a good warfare, Paul said. And so we need to be reminded. And by the way, when I, when I go places and, and preach revival meetings, I like to tell, and I haven't told you this yet, but just because I'm up here on a platform doesn't put me above any of you, number one. I'm right down there in the pew with you, okay? I have, I have a view from the pew because I've, I've been there a lot of my life, so I know what, it, but I, so I'm not above anybody, and then I like what Peter said. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. I may say it in a different voice, in a different way, and use different scripture and, and so forth, but I know Merlin has been, and, and Glenn and others have been feeding you very well, and so you're well informed of scripture and, and what the Bible says and how a Christian should live and so forth. But I like what Peter said. Peter said in chapter one of Second Peter, he said, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in rem remembrance of these things, though you know them and are already established in the present truth. He said, I think it's necessary to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. 
knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, he said, he said, moreover, I will endeavor that after my decease, I, you'll still remember what I told you. And then he starts the second or the third chapter by saying, the second epistle, beloved, I write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds, what? By way of remembrance. See, we just need to be, I, I don't know about you, but I forget things very quick. And so I need to be reminded over and over again. And I think that's how we're stirred up is we're reminded of what we already know. And we have that reinforced in our lives. And, and it deepens our faith just to, you know, I already knew that. Why am I hearing it again? Because, well, right, why do you read the Bible all the time? You've already read it. I hope you have. So, you know, we read it through every year. At least many people in our church do. And uh, they've read it before, but different things jump out. And they're reminded of things they've already known. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's why I'm here. Not to teach you anything new, but just to remind you of what you already know. So I don't know any more than you guys do. Thank you for hearing that. So tonight I want to talk about uh, our thought lives. Our thought lives. And how important it is to gain and maintain a pure thought life. Because that's something we all deal with, is our thought life. We all have a thought life. We're all thinking most of the time. And so let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you will, to begin tonight. And I do use a lot of scripture because I'm not a good storyteller. If I was a good storyteller, I wouldn't use so much scripture. But I'm not a good storyteller. <laughs> I know some people that are, and they do a very good job. But I just stay as close to the word as I can. I think it's safer. And I don't always get that right either. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, first five verses. This is what Merlin and I were talking about a little bit earlier. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in the presence, in the, in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again tonight for the scriptures. We know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is profitable tonight for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we as people of God may be mature and furnished unto every good work that you call us to. So I thank you, God, for your word. Your word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so we thank you tonight, Lord, that when we open the scriptures, it's not fake news. It's the real thing. It's from you, the creator of the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything in them, Lord. And, and we know it's truth. And we want to abide in this truth tonight, Jesus. So I thank you for that. I thank you that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the, mess, the title I gave the message tonight is, What on Earth Are You Thinking? What on earth are you thinking? And so verse 5 gives this instruction and bringing, the, the last part of the verse, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I just wonder, what kind of a thought life do you have? And I ask myself the same question. What kind of thought life do I have? Are all of our thoughts brought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ? Just suppose for one day that all of our thoughts were videoed and put up here on a screen so that everybody can see what we're thinking. What do you think about that? You know, other than probably being red-faced embarrassed, does it really matter? Does it really matter what I think or what kind of thoughts occupy my mind? You know, as long as I exhibit faith, as long as I go the right places and have the right appearance and say the right things, as long as it appears like I'm following Jesus and, and doing good works, and living as a Christian ought to live, does it really matter what goes on up here in my thought life? And I just want to emphasize the fact tonight that it matters a lot. It really, really matters what goes on in our thought lives. I can't stress that enough. Our thought lives are so important, so paramount concerning our faith that I honestly believe that if we could only obey this one 10-word instruction 100% of the time, we would be 100% mature and faithful and, and obedient to Christ. If we could only bring every thought captive and obedient to Christ 100% of the time, we would be faithful. In, in our walk. Everything else would follow, would follow suit. We would be complete and victorious. And someone might argue, what's important is not what we think, but what we do. And actually, we do what we think. We are what we think. We act on our thoughts. And so... Proverbs 23, 7 says exactly that. For it says, as a man, King James says, and the NIV says in the footnotes, and so is the ESV, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We paraphrase, it's like we are the sum total of our thought life. That's who we are. David Jeremiah said, Jeremiah said it like this. You're not what you think you are. You are what you think. And so... We better think about what we think about. Amen? We may tonight appear to be sitting here and we're pretty religious. I mean, we're on a Monday night and we're in church. Like I said, that's, that's amazing. And 
we're, we're sitting here in church and we've sang these beautiful hymns. And by the way, I, I just love the singing in this church. And, and we've looked into the scripture together already and we've, we've prayed together already. And here we are in church to hear a message. And everything looks good. And then, suppose I mention the word pornography. And all of a sudden, your mind downloads pornography, porno, pornographic images that you've seen on the internet or on the iPhone or some other way on television, in the movies. Or suppose I say the word, mention the word bitterness or ill will, and all of a sudden your mind downloads this picture of this person that you're struggling to get along with, you're holding a grudge against, you haven't given forgiveness to yet. Or maybe I mentioned the word greed or covetousness, and your mind begins to download pictures of adjoining lands that you would, you would love to have, or a brand new tractor, or a new combine, or, or what, a new 2022 pickup, or something else, a new camper, instead of the one you have, or just, just that in place of, thank you, Lord, for what I have, and, and being content with what you have. Now, I know I'm a little bit playing with our minds tonight, but that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about our minds. But who are we really this evening? Who are we really? As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I wrote a quote in the back of my Bible. I don't know when I wrote it or even who said it, but I agree with it. It says, the condition of your mind determines the position of your souls. The condition of our minds determines the position of our souls. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so it doesn't matter how religious and pious we look sitting here in church. If that first scenario happens to be true of myself or any of you, then we're guilty of, Jesus said, adultery. Because it says, whosoever looks on a woman and has those thoughts of lust hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if the second one would happen to be true, then we're guilty of murder. Because John says, he that hateth his brother is a murderer. And if the third one would happen to be true, then we're guilty of idolatry. Because the Bible says a couple times, Paul says, greed, which is idolatry. See how important it is what goes on in our minds, what our thought life is all about. And I'm not trying to condemn anyone this evening. Uh, not at all. We all, deal with the, we all deal with the thought life. The purpose of this message is to help us be determined to bring every thought captive and obedient to Jesus Christ. It's to give us a hand, some handles on, on how to do that, I believe, that, that are workable handles to bring, to maintain a pure thought life. I can't see your thought life, but God can see it, Right? The Bible says God knows our thoughts. Psalms 94.10, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. Psalm 139.2, thou understandest my thought afar off. Proverbs 24.9, the thought of foolishness is sin. Not just the act of committing it, but the thought of foolishness is sin. And so we not only need to forsake when we think about repentance, it's not just 
evil acts, the things that we've done that we need to forsake. We need to forsake the thoughts that were in our minds that brought that to pass. Because we are what we think. And pretty soon, we act on what we think. And that's why Isaiah said this, Isaiah 55, 7. He said, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy. And unto our God, uh, unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and unto our God and he will, he will pardon or forgive. So I'm going to be held accountable, not just for my actions, but also my thought life. And so are you. Now, I've got another quote written in the back of my Bible, and it says this. Either we bring every thought captive and obedient to Christ, or we will fall captive to our evil thoughts. Satan will build a stronghold there. If we don't cast down imaginations, which we have going on up here, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God... And bring every thought captive and obedient to Christ. Satan will build a stronghold in those imaginations and those evil thoughts in our minds. And when Satan builds a stronghold in our minds, in our thought life, only Jesus can tear those down. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from that and give us victory over that. And so I just want to, can we agree this evening just how important our thought life is? Amen? What we think is important. So I want us to uh, think about this and ponder this, lest we feel totally condemned and defeated in our thought life by now. This, I mean, this, this is what I think, and I hope this is right. In regards to our thought life, I believe we have biblical basis to make a difference between passing thoughts or suggestions or whims or ideas that come into our mind as opposed to thought ownership. In regards to our thought life, I believe we have biblical basis to make a difference between passing thoughts or suggestions or whims or idea as opposed to thought ownership. Turn to Proverbs 23, 7. I've mentioned that verse a number of times. Proverbs 23, 7. And while you're turning there, I have a question for you. And that is, did any sinful thoughts ever run through Jesus' mind? What do you think? And we know Jesus was sinless, right? The Bible says over and over again, he who had no sin became sin for us. Uh, Hebrew writer says he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And so in him was no sin, John writes. So God's word is very clear that Jesus did not sin. But did he ever have evil thoughts cross his mind? Such as we are, yet without sin, right? So, very carefully, I say that Jesus 
had to deal with sinful thoughts? Was he not tempted in his mind when Satan tempted him to turn a stone into bread? Or when he tempted him to jump off of the pinnacle of the temple? Or when he tempted him to, you know, bow down and worship him in order to gain all the riches and power in the world that Satan offered him? Was he not tempted by Satan when, when Peter, you know, to forsake Calvary when, when Peter said, uh-uh, Lord, this, this shall not be. You see, I think Jesus also had to deal with thoughts. But did Jesus ever take ownership of any of those thoughts that become a part of him? Not one single time. Never. Not once. And so, that's what I'm talking about when, when I mention the fact that there, I think we can make a difference between evil thoughts going through our mind and taking thought ownership of those thoughts, agreeing with those thoughts, and then taking ownership of them. And that's, I, I think that's a big difference. We all have a thought life, and we are, we are all tempted in our thought life. Proverbs 23, 7. King James, New King James says it this way. For as a man, or as he thinks in his heart, and I I looked at the footnotes at the NIV and the, the footnotes of the ESV and, and they, they say the same thing. And, and really in context, what the, the ESV and the NIV says, says the same thing. As a person thinks in his heart, this guy is stingy and he offers him food to drink, but the whole, or food to eat, and the whole time he's eating his food, you know, oh man, look what this is costing me. in here. So he's not really enjoying this guy eating his food. So as he's thinking about that, that's really who he is. So as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you say, wait a minute. I thought we think with our minds, not with our hearts. How do we think with our hearts when we, we obviously process thoughts in our minds? How do we think it with our hearts? And I believe it simply means this, that when a, th- when a thought crosses our mind, and we think about it, and we like it, and we agree with it, and we take ownership of it, that thought goes from our minds down into our hearts and becomes a part of who we are. We take ownership of that thought. It, be, it goes from the mind to the heart. So as we think in our hearts, so are we. Turn back to Psalms 10. And David lists a number of things about the wicked that they believe in their hearts. Psalms chapter 10. Well, first of all, verse 4 says, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Most versions say God is not in any of his thoughts. Or this person never, ever thinks about God. How much of our thought life are we thinking thoughts of God or thoughts of Jesus or thoughts of Scripture? The wicked don't ever think of God. God isn't even in the picture. So they don't think of God. They don't believe in God. Verse 6, he has said, notice, in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. 
So he thought that, agreed with it. Now it's in his heart. Where where it's thinking in his heart. It's who he is. Verse eleven. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Again in verse thirteen. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. So these these thoughts were taken ownership of, and went down into their heart. Now, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 15. (coughs) Matthew 15, verse 18. It says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. Verse 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. How do those evil thoughts get down into the heart? Because this evil man, this person, had the thoughts cross his mind and then agreed with him. And they became a part of who he was in his heart. So out of his heart proceed evil thoughts. Like it says here, they could be thoughts of of, uh, murder, Thoughts of adultery, thoughts of fornication, thoughts of stealing, thoughts of lying, and so forth. They, take, they start out as evil thoughts in the heart, and then they come out as actions. So that we are what we think. And our goal then should be to keep wrong thoughts. To come across our mind from going down into our heart. Amen? That should be our goal. That should be my goal to stop them, to reject them as soon as they enter our mind. And how do we do that? How do we do that? By bringing every thought captive and obedient to Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? How do we maintain a pure thought life? And that's what I want to share tonight. I want to give us some suggestions on gaining and maintaining a pure thought life. And so number one, We have to understand that God is not like us. God is not like us. I know we're created in his image, but when man sinned, that distorted that image. It destroyed the image of God. That's why we come back through Christ. That's the only way we can become like God again, become godly, is through Jesus Christ. And so... Psalms 50, you're in Matthew, aren't you? Psalms 50 is an interesting scripture. These people in Psalms 50 were committing adultery. They were stealing from each other. They were lying. They were slandering even family members in Psalms chapter 50. And it says this in verse 21. These things you have done, God said. And I kept silence. In other words, God didn't bring immediate judgment upon them because God is a loving, patient God, a long-suffering God. And he gives us time to repent. But he says, this, these things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was altogether just like you. But he says, but I will reprove you. Judgment is coming. 
But you thought that I was just like you. And that seems to be our tendency when, when we deal with evil in our lives sometimes and we're comfortable with it and God doesn't judge us and people don't know it, then pretty soon we begin to think, well, God must be just like I am. He must think the same way I do. And that's totally not the truth. God, God is not like us in his thought life. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you know this verse as well. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when we're dealing with thoughts in our minds or in our hearts, we don't want to bring God down to conform with our thoughts in our mind. We want to conform our thoughts in our mind, our hearts with God's, because his are right. His are higher so much higher than ours. So we need to conform our ways and our thoughts to God's. And then number two, we must agree to God giving us a new way of thinking. And this was so important to me. Because as I told you, you know, I walked away from the Lord in, in seven long years of rebellion against God and against the word. Uh, and so because of everything that I got involved in, my mind, my thought life was very impure. And so when I come back to the Lord and he graciously, lovingly, mercifully restored me to fellowship with him through the atoning blood of Jesus, I needed a transformation of my thought life. And that's what scripture calls us to. It wasn't just me, it's all of us. But I know how desperately I needed that. And so Romans 12, I mean, over and over. Romans 12, 2, be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, the way you think. Ephesians 4, 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3, 10, be renewed in knowledge after the image of God. Philippians 2.5, let this mind, or allow this mind be, to be in you, which was also in Christ. Have a Christ-like mind. So over and over again, we're, we're called to a mind transformation. We have to agree to that. I like the, I like the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5, 4, 5. I don't know which one it is, 4. But he says, don't be like the heathens. That's not how Christ taught you. He said, but put off the old man, which, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then a little later he says, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. But right between those two, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And if we're not renewed in the spirit of our mind, when we're putting off the old man and putting on the new man, guess what? We won't know what we should put off and we won't know what we should put on to replace it. We need to be in the middle. I call that the holiness sandwich. In the middle, the most important part of that is being renewed in the spirit of our mind, having a mind like Christ. And so agree to a mind transformation. Number three Seek to be constantly filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 talks about the carnal and, and the spiritual 
Romans 8, 5, and 6. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, he says, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so the carnal mind is enmity against God. It, it isn't even subject to God. It can't be. Only as we are filled with the Spirit and follow the leading of the Spirit can we walk a life of victory in our thought life and in our actions because they're connected. And then number four, and this one, this one is key to bringing every thought captive and obedient to Jesus Christ. I mean, I know it is because it is in my life. And that is hide God's word in your heart. Why? Because as a person thinks in his heart, so is he, right? And so the importance of hiding God's word in your heart just, just is off the charts. It's paramount. It's the most important thing. David said in Psalms 119, verses 9 and 11, said, how can a young man keep his way pure or cleanse his way? By taking heed, therefore, according to thy word. And then you know the verse, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we need to replace the thoughts that are in our heart that are not pleasing to God with the word of God itself. And we will never be victorious in our thought life unless we apply and practice this discipline in our lives. We must hide God's word in our hearts. I believe that our minds are the battleground for spiritual warfare. It's where, it's where we have to fight the battle against the enemy, right here in our minds. That's what Paul said in our text. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Satan is always bringing that stuff into our minds that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and wants us to take ownership of it. And so that's where we have to fight the fight. That's why we need the whole armor of God. And so much as that armor of God is, is just connected to the Word of God. It is the Word of God. So the battle is either won or lost in our minds. It's in our minds where we need to bring into captivity every thought to obedience to Christ. And I think, how did Jesus Christ keep those evil thoughts from entering his mind, entering his heart? He defeated them with scripture, right? Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, the Lord thy God shalt thou worship, him only shalt thou serve. And to Peter he said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. He defeated Satan's temptations with Scripture. Very clear. And do you think Jesus had to say, hmm, Satan, that sounds a little fishy. Let me go check my concordance. I think I know a verse that uh, I can come back on that with. 
I don't think so. I think Jesus had the word of God in his heart. He already knew it so that he was quick to come against that evil thought that Satan put in his mind and reject it instead of taking ownership of it. And therefore, it would have become sin to him. But no, Jesus had God's word hid in his heart and he was able to reject it. And so I think he had applied Psalms 119, 9 and 11 in his life. Most of us have computers and access to the internet, Zoom, email, Facebook, whatever. You know, we can use that for a lot of good. So there's, there's good reason to have computers and phones and so forth. But the problem is there are people out there that want to destroy our computers with viruses. Right? And so we, we have these virus protect, protection whatever apps on our computers. Norton or McAfee, whatever they're called. I have Kaspersky on mine in order to detect those viruses that are coming in and deal with them before they get down into the hard drive and, and ruin our computer, ruin the memory. So that there's nothing left on our computer. It's not working anymore. And God's word in our hearts works exactly like that. When Satan brings a, a, a thought virus into our mind, trying to get it into our hearts to destroy us, then the... The word of God takes over that's in our hearts and defeats that evil. But guess what? Just like you have to download the antivirus protection onto your computer, you have to download the word of God into your hearts. You have to download it into your hearts. You have to install it. You have to work at memorizing it. You have to keep it fresh and updated by meditating upon it. David said in Psalms 1, talking about the guy that, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And then the promise that he will be like a, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. And Joshua 1.8, this word of the law shall not depart out of thy out of thy what does it say? This word of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou may observe to do all that is in it commanded to you. Then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. And so listen to Hebrews 4.12 and think about God's word being in our heart to detect and to reject evil thoughts instead of downloading them into our hearts. It said, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So there again, clearly God's word is involved in gaining and maintaining a pure thought life. It's so important. And so... If you want to check every thought, make sure it's captive and obedient to Jesus Christ. Hide God's word in your heart. Download it. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. When I travel, I like to travel alone. I don't mind if my wife's with me because she's quiet and she's on her phone and she's reading a magazine or something. But when I travel, 
that's, that's a time when I go over scripture in my mind that I've memorized. And so coming up here the other day for 12 hours, well, after I had some prayer time and seeking the Lord, but a good bit of my time driving up here, I spent in the quiet with God just going over 42 chapters of scripture that I've put to memory. And just, I can't tell you how refreshing that is. And I want to say too, I, you know, the last thing I want to do is set myself up here and say, wow, look at Dewey. He's memorized so much scripture. There's a reason I, I began to do that. And I've already told you that I've lived such a sinful life and, and I had such a thin, sinful thought life when I came to the Lord. And I needed to replace that with the truth, with God's word. And I remember a couple times being in different places where I felt the Holy Spirit telling me the importance of memorizing scripture. And, and you know, I was in a, probably some of you were too, in a Bill Gothard seminar, a number of them. And, and I was just so impressed with how he could just not look down and just quote scripture, just quote scripture. And that spoke to me. And then another time I was in a church and I knew the man, the preacher, but every time he would get up to preach, he would quote his text. And I, I was so impressed by that and challenged by that, not just impressed, but challenged. You know what? If he could do that, I can do that. And if I can do that, you can do that. And we, we say, Bible memories for children. No. <laughs> Bible memories for adults. Bible memories for adults. You know, I think how much different it would have been for David in the incident with Bathsheba if he would have just practiced what he preached in hiding God's word in his heart and using it to detect and reject temptation when he looked over there and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath or whatever she was doing, and he saw that she was beautiful, and he began, you know, he began, I'm sure, to have thoughts of lust, and immediately he should have known better. But what did he do? He, he talked to the man. Well, who is, who is this lady? Find out who she is. Well, she's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Well, go get her. He knew better. He, he knew the word of God that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And he could have used that word to defeat that temptation, but he didn't. And so he has sexual relationships with her, and then she shows up a little while later, I'm pregnant. Now what am I going to do? And so he begins the whole process of bringing Uriah home from the battle in order to get him to go into his wife so he can, they didn't have DNA testing back then, so that he would think the baby was his and David would be off the hook. And so we got all this deception going on in David's mind when the Bible says clearly, thou shalt not tell lies, don't lie. And so David, instead of listening to that, he allowed that to go down into his heart. And you know the whole story, how he got Uriah to come home and First, he thought he'd go into his wife, and he ended up sleeping by the, by the castle door or whatever. And David said, what in the world are you doing here? Go, to, go into your wife. He said, how can I do that? When, when the ark of God and, and the Israelites are encamped over there in battle, 
No, I can't do that. I'm one of them. And so he got him drunk the next day, sent him home to his wife. Same thing. Uriah wouldn't do it. All that deception going on. And then what did he do? He writes a letter to Joab. Kill this man. Kill him. Because I want his wife. That's the only way this is going to work. Thou shalt not kill. David knew that. But he didn't bring that thought captive and obedient to God's word when he knew better. And so I think David had that word in his heart. And we can have it in our hearts, but we have to apply it. We have to apply what we know in order to gain victory in our thought life, to gain victory over Satan. And that's, that's one of the few blemishes that David had against him. Uh, the man of God that he was, a man after God's own heart, and yet he had that horrible blemish against him. Just a one-night stand that ruined his reputation. And so, you know, how important it is to bring every thought captive and obedient to Jesus Christ by hiding God's word in our heart and then applying it. And we got the whole thing that James talks about. You know, James says, uh, I forget what he says. Talks about, receive. Oh, he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. And that's, I like that picture, that analogy. Because when you take a branch of a fruit tree and you graft it into another tree, another fruit tree, it bears the fruit of its origin, right? And so when we take God's word and we plug it into our lives, we graft it into our hearts, guess what? That's the fruit that is produced in our lives. And I remember Bill Gothard saying, you want more love in your life? Memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Memorize the book of John, 1 John. Uh, and he used other examples like that. Uh, so, yeah. Hide God's word in your heart. There's one more I want to mention here. We maintain a healthy thought life by filling it with good thoughts. F having our minds so full of good thoughts. And this is what, you know this scripture, Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there be any virtue or moral excellence, if there be any praise, think on these things. Fill your mind with these kind of things. And that eight-point checklist eliminates 95% of television viewing, probably. <laughs> you think? You think? The saying, I believe, is true. An idle mind is the devil's playground. And so we need to fill our mind with good thoughts. What on earth are you thinking about? We better think about it. We need to maintain a pure thought life if we're going to be victorious in our Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, tonight, I'm just thankful for these scriptures that challenge me, challenge me deeply. God, I know how important it is because I am tempted again and again with evil thoughts, thoughts that I know are not from you. 
And so I'm thankful for the truth, for the word of God that I can combat those evil thoughts with. And I pray that I would be faithful in doing that. I pray that I would not give way to the thoughts that Satan brings into my mind and allow them, agree with them and allow them to go down into my heart as a part of who I am. Lord, I want to reflect your image and I want to reflect the image of the truth. I want the light to shine in me, Lord, that is from you and not from the enemy, which would be darkness anyway. But I thank you, Lord, just for these truths tonight. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we will have the courage, the boldness to maintain a pure thought life. That we will not let thoughts of greed, thoughts of immorality, thoughts of unforgiveness, and other thoughts that we know are from the enemy, Lord, go down into our hearts so that they become a part of who we are. Help us, Lord, in this endeavor. And tonight, while our heads are bowed, I just if, if you just want prayer just now, for maintaining a pure thought life. If you're struggling in areas of your life, you just indicate that by raising your hand up and down. Father God, you, you know the hands and you know the thoughts. You said, search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting, Lord. You desire to do that for us. And so... God, I pray that you would give these that raise their hands just a special portion of your grace, Lord, to continue to have that desire to want to gain and maintain a pure thought life and the, and the grace to do that, Lord. So help us, help them especially tonight, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them. And I thank you for your presence here with us tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would dismiss us tonight in your fear and in your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.